0: You will see it, if you read carefully in the Scripture, this whole idea of solidarity, you will see it throughout the pages of the Bible. Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved, you and your... Isn't it interesting? Dad comes to Christ, not that his salvation covered his family, but if it's good enough for Dad, it's good enough for me. So the Philippian jailer gives his heart to the Lord. Solidarity kicks in, and the entire family embraces the Lord it runs counter to the way Americans think. We think individually. That is not how the rest of the world thinks. You get into the East, they think differently. They think collectively. It's a a hard thing to understand. By the way, that's why they had so many people volunteering in World War II to be kamikaze pilots. In Japanese culture, you think collectively. Spoken in Japan two or three times, everybody dresses the same. All the businessmen dress the same. You never leave the office until the boss leaves the office. Why? You think collectively. They have a phrase in Japan, the the nail that sticks up gets pounded down. So everybody thinks the same. That's why, like I said, in the Muslim world, Suicide bombers are a dime a dozen. We don't think like that. Ah, I'm my own person. I'm not gonna wear a mask, see? And so we 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 think so differently. Now, isn't it interesting? Achan sins, but collectively Israel sinned. That's exactly what it says. Verse one of chapter seven but the Israelites acted unfaithfully. And as we're going to see this morning, there and, and part of it, you've got to get beyond that because there's a part of your sin that will affect other people. Just like Achan's did. So, Israel loses the next battle against Ai. Joshua falls before the Lord. He's in disbelief. I can't believe this happened. And watch verse 10. The Lord says to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Here we go again. Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant collectively, which I commanded them to keep. You see the plural pronouns. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. He who is caught, this is the first time you see a a singular pronoun. He who is caught with a devoted thing shall be destroyed by fire along with all that belongs to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. So Joshua had his family come forward man by man and Achan the son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah and the tribe of Judah was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord the God of Israel and give him praise. Tell me what You have done. Do not what? Because our tendency will always be to hide and to cover up. We get that from our parents in the Garden of Eden. They hid and they covered. And by the way, you and I do the same. Achan replied, It is true, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done when I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia. 200 shekels of silver, a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels. I coveted them and took them, and they're hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. And Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. And then all Israel stoned him, and after they had stoned the rest, his family, they burned them. Wow, it's a a bothersome story. Now, imagine you've got nearly 2 million people. And everybody's gathered together, and Joshua stands up in front of the whole collection and says, you know what, we've got sin in the camp, and so we're going to begin winnowing it out. Here we go. And you wonder at that point what Achan was thinking. "I'm I'm around two million people. No way. I'm good. And so what happens is that you hear, the tribe of Judah. The other, other 11 tribes all stand back, and now you're down to one tribe. I wonder if Achan at that point was thinking, lucky guess. Or was he thinking, I'm a dead man. You've now got a singular tribe standing in front of Joshua. Joshua then cries out these words, the family of Zera. All the other families of Judah step back, and only Zerah's family's there. It's an extended family, probably three, four, or five hundred people. The family of Zimri. Now you've eliminated all but about two dozen people. Imagine the sick feeling in the center of Achan's heart. the son of Carmi. Well, now you have probably down to about four or five boys. Do you think at that point that Achan literally was trembling and fell to his knees? I'm the guy. Or did Joshua have to say, Achan, it's you? I mean, it's just, just sobering stuff. I mean, once again, one of my goals of being here is to help you understand these are real people in a real place. When we and sometimes it's hard for us to understand that. Let me ask you a question. After being told those things up front, do not touch the the, the devoted things. Why did Aiken do what he did? let me ask you a follow-up question. Why do you do what you do? See. Why do you and I sin when we know it's wrong? Achan had a weakness. We all have weaknesses. Now, it's interesting. In the study of homardiology, the doctrine of sin, I want you to think, and, and, there's, and there's different categories of sins. Are you aware of that? Some, and by the way, not every sin is the same. People will say, and you've heard him say this, well, sin is sin. That's not true. Jesus tells us that there are some sins that are worse than others. Did you know that? Well, the unpardonable sin is the only sin that cannot be forgiven, Jesus said. Well, that's kind of in a category by itself. Incidentally, to help you with that, the unpardonable sin is the sin of unbelief. Choosing not to believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. That's why it's unpardonable. It's the sin of not committing your life to Jesus. That's why you go to hell for the unpardonable sin. I've heard so many people, even at this camp, I'm afraid I've committed the unpardonable sin. No. If you're worried about it, you haven't. See. So you've got the unpardonable sin. That's in a category by itself. Paul tells us That sins of immorality. Every other sin is outside the body, but sexual sins, you sin against your body. We don't exactly know what that means, but apparently that's worse from what Paul tells us. Sermon on the Mount. If you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed what? So you will hear people say, well, lust is the same as adultery. No, it's not. I would ha- I would rather have someone lust after my wife than sleep with my wife. True. It's, they're not the same. What Jesus is saying is that the sin of lust is also a sin, but it's not the same as adultery. See. I want you to think of sins as category one sins, category two sins, and category three sins. Let me give you some examples. A category one sin is a sin that you commit, and when you give your heart to the Lord, boom, you're done. You don't do that anymore. It's just at salvation, you say, I'm repenting, I'm turning away. Remember, an example of this would be John chapter 8, the woman caught in adultery. Where are your accusers? Nowhere, Lord. Well, neither do I condemn you. Therefore, go and... Leave your life of sin. In other words, I'm no longer going to do this. Uh, for example, you can't say, well, you know what? I used to be a murderer. Last year I killed 12 people. But since I've asked Jesus into my heart, I've only killed four. No, 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 no. That's one of the that's a category one sin. I mean, you leave that. Well, you're done with that, see? You don't do that anymore. Category two. So a category one sin is a sin that, bingo, you stop. Category two sins are those that go away over a period of time. I get, And by the way, you have to understand this, because otherwise you're going to get yourself into a ditch. Category two sin for me was profanity. I remember I was in a, a a fraternity. So I give my heart to the Lord. Guess what? Oh, I still cuss like a trooper. See. But I got convicted of that. And, and over time, that that changed. You with me? And so there will be sins in your life that over time, as the Holy Spirit works in you and you feel conviction, and, and you and oh, I, I, don't, I don't cuss anymore. Have you heard me use any four letter words here at camp? Well, you probably have, but not the bad ones. Yeah, not the R word, certainly. Category three sins are sins that you will deal with the rest of your life. Not until glory will you be done with those. So, whatever it is that you're dealing with, you have to decide is this one of those deals? where I will be instantly delivered and walk away from and never do again? Or is it a Category 2 sin where over time I'm going to get better? Or is it a Category 3 sin where I'm going to struggle with this till my dying day? The problem is some of those categories get mixed up depending upon the person. I remember Carl Powell in our church who would stand up on testimony night, and you've heard this, and what he would say is, you know what? I used to smoke three packs a day, and when I got saved, the Lord delivered me from smoking, and I never picked it up again. And everybody would go, amen, great for Carl, except for John Chandler. John was from West Virginia, struggled with smoking his entire life and tried so many times to give up, give it up, and he couldn't. For Carl, it went away like that. John, it it was just a tough slog. I felt so sorry for him. He wanted to, but it was just hard. You see, for John, it was a category three. For Carl, it was a category one. I remember as a new Christian, I would say to the Lord, Lord, forgive me for doing this, whatever it was. I will never do that again. Well, that's a recipe for disaster. Because that, that's why you see it. And, and by the way, evangelists will do that. That's why you see people come to the altar again and again and again and again and why we're losing our kids because they'll finally say, you know what, it doesn't work for me. I went forward and asked God to deliver me from drugs or pornography or masturbation or sex. or I mean, you, you name the issue. God, forgive me. I'm sorry. I will never do that again. Well, then what happens when he does it again? Or she? Now, where are you? And so I think as a church, we need to be a little understanding of people. Lord, deliver me from my pride. Well, you want to know something? That's probably not going to happen, this side of glory. Now, that doesn't mean I don't keep working at it. That does not give me a pass card. Well, anger, our family's Irish, and that's just the way I am. You can't say they don't get a pass card. Okay, maybe anger is one of your besetting weaknesses that's why you got to keep the Holy Spirit in control of your life so my question to you is what is the issue that a maybe you walked away from and said you know what years ago this is what I used to do I don't do that anymore praise God I'm you know I'm delivered from that alcohol drugs you know whatever what is the issue that you could say you know what as I look back in my Christian life, you know, God deliver me immediately. And what is the issue that to your dying day it is your besetting weakness that you're gonna have to keep working at? You'll get better, but there's gonna be two steps forward and one step backwards. It's helpful to understand that. Otherwise, and this is, I talk with Judy about this all the time because she she can tend to be guilt and shame driven. she will do something and say, well, I, I probably should have done this. She gets this from her mother. She'll make a pie. I say, boy, that, that was the, the best pie. Well, I think the crust is a little bit too done. You know people like that, don't you? Shame and guilt-driven. And we have got to realize the grace of God is is pretty wide, see? I've listed there for you a number of temptations or Achilles heels. And my suspicion is that one of those may be yours. Somebody once said, can we pick more than one? I mean, you're looking at one of the world's great worry warts. Unforgiveness, bitterness, jealousy, check, check, check. Who's on your mental dartboard? Lust, none of us deals with that. Critical spirit, I'm I'm not like that. Nancy Pelosi. Donald Trump. You know what? You don't get a pass card on those either. The Bible says speak evil of no man. I got to be careful. Mm -hmm. Anger overeating. That's too convicting. Let's move on. Materialism, laziness, gossip, addictive behaviors, you fill in the blank. And as we begin walking through this this morning, chances are one of those things is on your list. It's not one of those that that disappeared immediately. You're hoping it will be one that eventually you won't be doing anymore or as much, chances are you'll struggle with it until your dying day. And by the way, that that's okay because that leaves us dependent upon the Holy Spirit. People will say that Paul's thorn in the flesh was his eyesight. Other commentators will say Paul's thorn in the flesh was lust. He speaks of looking at a woman and doing, I not burn in my heart. Three times I prayed that God would take this away, and God didn't. Boy, suddenly you start seeing the Apostle Paul, the very thing I don't want to do, I find myself doing. And the thing I I, want to do, I don't do. Oh, wretched man that I am, Romans chapter 7. Who shall deliver me? Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you guilt and shame driven? Here we go. Jesse, sorry to wake you. Next screen, please. You can begin filling in the blanks. The path of destruction will always involve buying into the devil's lies. I've printed there for you, I believe. Yeah, John 8, 44. You belong to your father, the devil. And he's saying to the Pharisees and Sadducees, you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies, The devil is the liar and the father of lies. Five different times the word liar or a form of that word is used in one one sentence. Here, Let me tell you some of the lies that you will buy into regarding your besetting sin. These are the lies that Achan bought into. Lie number one, it's not that big of a deal. They'll never miss it. A Babylonian robe? Dude, there's like a thousand of them. No harm done. What is this among so much? How about this one? Nobody will know. One of the banes of the Internet and of Facebook is that you can get sucked into an illicit relationship or you can get sucked into all kinds of uh, nefarious things. Nobody will ever know. God has a way of exposing these things like with Achan. I will do it just this once. Everybody does this. Nobody's perfect. You see what I'm saying? You begin rationalizing. I'm still going to church and having effective ministry. I can handle this. This sounds like the kind of stuff an alcoholic would say. I can handle this. It's not that bad. And then immediately, Jesse, next one. The first person that you have to lie to is yourself. I'm not an alcoholic. I no, I I can stop. I can I can stop anytime I want. That relationship didn't mean anything. We're just friends. I I, I just I kind of messed up. Jesse number 2. This is the danger. You've got you've to stop this stuff earlier. Because little compromises will lead to larger compromises. Notice in the passage, Jesse, next screen. Notice the progression, the downward spiral in the words of Achan. I'm in verse 21. Look at the verbs. I saw. I coveted. I took. I hid. Little compromises will lead to larger compromises. And before you realize it, it's kind of like taking the bait. I mean, the worm looks pretty good. You just don't see the barb. There is this process of falling into sin. Ephesians 4.27, I've got it there, and do not give the devil a what? It's an interesting word in the original Greek because if you give him a toehold, It will become a foothold and eventually become a stronghold. A toehold becomes a foothold that becomes a stronghold. The actual word is foothold. It has to do with topography. You don't know what that necessarily means. A topographical map is a map that shows... Uh, The topography, the the, the lay of the land, you've seen those things. Let me illustrate how that happens. The word foothold, by the way, is the Greek word topos, T-O-P-O-S, topos, foothold, from which we get the word topography. Next screen, please. Hopefully, oh, man, it's not going to show up real well. The right screen is going to be better. This topographical map represents your life. You can see carefully it's divided into grids. Can you see these little grids? Well, they're real light. Here's a line that's here. It's like a checkerboard. See? That represents your life. Each checkerboard represents either a person in your life or an area of your life, your job, your church, your ministry, your health, your finances. So this topographical map represents you. And you can see right here, all of this is green, but right there you can see a brown space and the devil comes to us with an offer and says to you, hey, I I see this area of your life over here that's really not doing you any good. It's wasted space. I'll tell you what, I can turn that into a green space. As a matter of fact, it will have glitter on it. And it's going to be, it will bring you all kinds of joy and all kinds of pleasure. And my response becomes, look, I don't make deals with the devil. But we think it over for a few days, and we begin to mull it over and consider it. You know how this works. And the enemy comes back and says, hey, I know that you've probably been thinking about my offer. It's a good offer. It makes sense. Hey, nobody will know. It's a very small investment up front. And look, I mean, all the rest of this is yours to control. It's just really, really small. And so we say, all right. I mean, that's In a moment of weakness, we say, okay, I'm going to go ahead. and I won't tell anybody. I'll, we'll do that. And, and the devil says, well, I just want to make sure it's a legal agreement. Would you please sign your name on this line? And so the devil is given permission. We give him permission in this particular area of our life, and you know what it is for you. All right. We'll see what happens here. Next screen, Jesse. Whoa, just a second. I didn't realize. I mean, I figured it if I gave you access that you would that you would. Encroach from like right here, I mean, I, I, I. Well, listen, I, I mean, if for me to do renovations here, I've, I've got, I've got to have access. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand. Well, look, I mean, okay. Well, and suddenly you begin having second thoughts, like, dang, I, I didn't think like that that would happen. but we gave him a legal route, and his route was different than what we anticipated, and now there's dust and noise. And and what happens, Jesse, the next screen, please? Even though we have not given him permission, the access road now creates enough dust that it begins to affect other areas of my topography. Achan sins. I'm going to take the Babylonian robe and this silver stuff, nobody will know. There's plenty of it, and it'll never be missed. Well, suddenly, all of Israel has been affected, and you can see what it looks like right there. Little do you realize that your habits or sins or addictions or choices suddenly impact those who are closer to you in ways that you're not aware Next screen, please. Watch. Did you see how subtle that happened? The expansion project, incidentally, it's just one square, or you can say it has doubled. He has now officially, in this remodeling project, taken over another area of your life. Gosh. I didn't realize that my alcoholism would lead to my stealing from my addiction. My losing my job. The devil says, well, what do you expect? I mean, these expansion projects tend to grow and take time. Don't worry about it. And by the way, you're already receiving some payoff." The reason that you sin is that there is a measure of pleasure involved. Sin will give you a payoff. Otherwise, you wouldn't do it. Alcohol gives a high. Meth gives you a high. Pornography gives you a high. An illicit relationship gives you a measure of, otherwise, you wouldn't do it. See, I mean, I love pizza. When I buy pizza, I'll, I'll give them, you know, Judy and I'll get a large pizza, I'll give them $20, they give me a pizza. That's a fair exchange. There was a cost, $20, but I get the pizza. Now, eventually, if they say, okay, if you want the pizza, it's can to cost you $150? Whoa. See, eventually, the cost becomes too high for the pleasure that it brings. But that happens very slowly. But by that time, You like pizza so much, you just shrug your shoulders and pay it, see? Next screen, Jess. Well, guess what? It's just doubled again, my friends. And it's at this point that you realize I'm in trouble. But you also realize the map's enough of a mess I can't tell anybody. Next screen. This is hard to look at, isn't it? Because in some ways it becomes a snapshot of your life, the life of a loved one. Some of you are thinking of your husband, your son, yourself. Next screen. Sin will take you further than you wanted to go, will keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and will cost more than you wanted to pay. I don't think I've got that on your sheet, do I? Pretty good stuff. I didn't say it. I think Swindoll's the one that quoted that. I wish I could have said I did it, but I didn't. my sister and brother-in-law are sitting over here and last night Dick's got an iPad and he's a real tech guy and he's taking notes and he's over there doing that right now and so what he was doing on some of these screens he couldn't copy him quick enough he took his iPad and takes a picture of it. Did you take a picture of that one Dick? <laughs> I'm getting ready to right now So what do you do? I mean, part of this is kind of bad news. I mean, I don't mean to be a downer. I'm just being really honest with you. I mean, what do you do? I mean, this is where we all live. I mean, some of you, you know, have food addictions and you're dealing with weight issues. And you know, my doctor says, I mean, I'm 67 years old, and the doctor says you need to lose 20 pounds. And gosh, man, that's just so stinking hard at my age. And besides that, Judy gets this, you know, chocolate brownie ice cream stuff that. You know, and it's in the freezer, and it's not going to go to waste. I mean, I can't let it go to waste. It's a stewardship issue, and I, I just, what's that? I, I, we paid good money for that. That's right. I mean, I think, you know, you know, then you start doing these little, you know, you have these conversations with yourself. Well, I'm 67. Well, I was talking to Amy and Dick last. I'm 67 years old. I mean, I could go on a diet and, you know, exercise like a crazy man and just, you know what, I'm going to do And then I get hit by a car. All right, my dad died at seventy-two. I got let's see, what maybe five years. Hey, you know what? I'm just gonna have the ice cream. <laughs> so what do you do? I mean, and I'm not gonna stand up here and just. This is what you'll find with a lot of evangelists from from yesteryear. We will they they will say try harder. Well, you know what? I I have see. Mike, some of you remember the the periodical, the magazine, the Wittenberg Door. Boy, that dates me. Mike Yaconelli. Mike Yaconelli um, wrote this book, interesting book, in which he talks about the Special Olympics. And in the Special Olympics, all these little kids, or fourth and fifth graders, they were going to do a one one run around. Uh, they're going to do the mile run four times on the track. And all the parents were up there. Special Olympics. Boom. The, the gun goes off. And here comes these little kids, and they're 11- and 12-year-olds, and they're special needs kids, and they're just huffing and puffing. And Iaconelli says, I'm sitting there next to a parent, and, and one of the little special needs boys, who's 11 years old, his name was Ralphie. And as they're huffing and puffing around, they make it through one, and go, Ralphie, go, Ralphie. And he goes, I'll never forget, the woman stands up, and Ralphie's right in front, and it's on the final lap, and suddenly this mom stands up and goes, Ralphie. Run faster. And Ralphie kind of looks up in the stands like, oh, there's a novel thought. I never thought about that. Maybe I need to run faster. And he's kind of like, gosh. Yes. And Iaconelli says, I, I thought to myself, isn't that what we're told a lot in the Christian life? Do better. Try harder. I, I. I. It's like from the TV show MASH. Hawkeye looks at Frank Burns and goes, Frank, you know the way you are. Don't be like that anymore. Well, that's not helpful. Yeah, I know the way I am. I know my besetting weaknesses, and you know yours. And to have somebody stand up and say, well, just try hard. That's not going to work dude, I have tried harder. So let me give you some practical keys that can help. And none of these things are going to be bolts out of the blue. Sorry for the reference to the puzzle. Next screen, Jess, here we go. I remember a friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine said, The only prayer request of Jesus was pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out workers. That's inaccurate. That is not the only prayer request of Jesus. As a matter of fact, this one right here, if you look at your note outline, on four different occasions, he gives the very same prayer request. Have you ever thought about this before? Matthew 26, 41, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Mark 14, 38, watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Luke 22, pray that you will not fall into temptation. Luke twenty two forty six. 46, get up and pray that you will not fall into temptation. Isn't it interesting? Jesus did not say, by the way, when it comes to temptation, try harder. Run faster, Ralphie. One of the keys, now watch this, in dealing with whatever it is that you're dealing with in your life is a lack of prayer regarding that issue. If the solution was to try harder, Jesus would have said that. When it comes to your besetting weakness, what does he say? I need to watch. I need to be sober minded, be careful, be sensitive. Don't place myself in those those situations. I need to be watchful and I need to pray. When was the last time you prayed about your weakness? Four different times he mentions, and it must be a big deal. See? And so I'm beginning to recognize that. Don't take a knife to a gunfight. The de- What you're dealing with in your life or what your son or daughter or your husband or wife, whatever is th- they're dealing with, it is a spiritual issue, not an issue of the will. Spiritual issues require spiritual weaponry. Why do you think by trying harder you're going to conquer this thing? It's as Satan just laughs at you and will say, okay, yeah, I'll try harder. Rather, I need to be continually praying. And then this is convicting for me. Am I praying every single day about my weakness? Answer, no. Why not? Yeah, because I'm lazy. And so are you, see? And, And if the enemy can prevent you from praying about it. I mean, this is not, I mean, this is not, you know, magic stuff here, folks. This is not unique. Secondly, Jess, next slide. I think a second spiritual weapon is speaking God's word. Now, that may sound rather trite, but when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, and we know where that wilderness was, and we've walked in that wilderness before. I can show you some pictures of what that looks like. It's called the wilderness of Judea. But when Jesus was in the wilderness and he was tempted, isn't it interesting that he spoke out loud the word of God? We're getting new flooring put in our house yesterday and today, and so Judy's there, and the guys are putting down vinyl planking in our basement. And she said, it's interesting. You know, and there's always a measure of when you bring workmen into the house, and I'm up here in the Thumb of Michigan, and Judy's home alone, you kind of think, am I okay with that? And she says, interesting, they're playing Christian music down there. Christian choruses. You see, my problem, having been a rock and roll dude and in a rock and roll band, I'll listen to Led Zeppelin. Some of you have no idea what I just said, but and then so what's gonna happen is and then Stairway to Heaven or you know, some of these songs will be going through my head. But if you put on Christian music, isn't it interesting that you you know you get a you get a song going through your head, that suddenly that begins going through your head? and suddenly you find that it begins ministering to your soul and your spirit on the inside, and things begin to shift. See, when Jesus would respond, man shall not live by bread alone. Isn't it interesting? He had spent so much time with the Word of God, in the Word of God, that it became an automatic. I need to continue to bathe myself in in the Word, speak the Word out loud, Say the word out loud. Listen to Christian music. I need to, to, it talks about being washed by the word. I don't know what else to tell I'm not sure if I have any other advice for you. Dealing with temptation and dealing with sin. Maybe I've got this printed here. Yeah, I do. 2 Corinthians 10.4. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. And by the way, the world will have all kinds of weaponry on how to deal with your temptation. problem is they will not work, or they will not work permanently. On the contrary, spiritual weapons have divine power to demolish what? Same kind of word as topas. It's the picture of the map up there do I want to demolish strongholds in my life and again I recognize I mean I've had to go through there's some people in my life that I've been resentful towards and bitter towards I'm bitter towards a person right now I mean I'm, I'm ashamed to tell you that right now but there's a particular individual happens to be a pastor that I'm just I, I'm just so frustrated I could spit and I'm mature enough in the Lord to realize sometimes, It takes time. The deeper the hurt, the longer the time. Forgiveness is not only a decision in a moment as an event. Forgiveness is also a process. And so what I find regarding this person in my life, I've got to say, okay, Lord, Here is my bitterness and resentment towards this person. I will watch. I will lay it here, and let it go. But you want to know something that he makes me so stinking mad because he hurt my and I pick it back up again, and then I've got to let it go again. All right, it's yours. I forgive him. But doggone it, that's just not right. I mean, I can't believe. And you pick it back up again. And you want to know how many times I keep doing that? Seventy times seven. That's why Jesus said that. I forgive him in my heart. Do I forgive him? Yes, I do. But I've got to keep doing it 70 times seven again and again and again and again. I believe he's not talking about 70 times seven different offenses. I think he's talking about the same offense 70 times 7. And you've been hurt by people in your family and your mother and your dad and the person that you're married to so repeatedly that this that forgiveness is hard. How do you get through that? It's a process, and it's an event. And i got to pray. And God, over time, will change my heart. And by the way, he has. He has. And that's just one issue. I mean, I'm you know, I, I'm, I'm going to be careful of a bitter root. Funny thing is, I can forgive a non-Christian people a lot easier. I mean, they're just fulfilling their job description. You know, they're knuckleheads because they don't know any different. See? The hard ones to forgive are the people who continue to hurt you again and again and again in the same way. And Christian people. That's because you think, well, they ought to know better. Until I keep rem- reminding myself I'm a knucklehead. And I've probably hurt people. And isn't it interesting how I got? I want God to deal with me in grace, but deal with my sister Mary in law. When it comes to me, forgive me for our weaknesses. When it comes to my enemy, boom, burn him, See. Rarely do I say, Lord. I want to pray grace over this person I'm angry at. But by the way, in terms of me, go ahead and just bust my chops. I don't do that. See? So I guess my challenge this morning as we finish up is Revelation 12:11. They overcame the devil by recognizing who I am in Christ, the blood of the lamb and Secondly, what else? By speaking out loud the Word of God. And I've given you some verses that you can use to do that. Well, let me pray, and I'll let you go. Father, I just want to thank you for these dear people. Thank you, Lord, that we're all in process. We can be honest with each other. Thank you for grace and mercy those of us who tend to be perfectionists those of us who are guilt and shame based lord deliver us help us to recognize there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus whether it's a category 1 a category 2 or a category 3 or frankly sometimes i don't know what category my sins in gosh lord just help us and may we pray more intensely and speak your word more fervently. In Jesus' name, amen.